0: Like, who wants to buy our our podcast for what? How how did you describe it for as much as a a used Honda Civic?
1: (laughs) Having recently purchased, not a Honda Civic, but a Nissan Ultima, $5,000 would be very used.
0: Busted quarter panel and exhaust falling out. Uh,
1: In fact, I did help someone sell one with a busted quarter panel. And uh, that was $5,000, I think, is what she sold it for. So there you go. Nice. We're the busted quarter panel of podcasts here. <laughs> Recorded in our NerdHaven studios, this is Pop Medieval. Your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Mack. Discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast.
0: What, Doc? What, Nina? Have you seen this in Netflix pop-up yet? Um, it's a new movie called The Dig.
1: So I haven't seen the movie... I saw the trailer for the movie, and I was interested in seeing the movie, but I thought, well, we might want to talk about the movie for Movember, so I'm intentionally holding off. Also, I think it's based on a novel by the same name, and I want to read the novel as well.
0: Yeah, I I really want to see the movie and read the book, but I want to hold off until Movember, but I think it's of interest to both of us, and I really want to talk about it on this podcast based on a archaeological dig in England. And I think we talked about a previous archaeological dig on uh, this podcast before.
1: We did. I went back and listened to it again, uh, episode two, about the Staffordshire Horde. <laughs> we only barely mention the Sutton Hoo dig, and Sutton Hoo is the dig that is the titular dig in the movie The Dig. I'm not sure how much of the actual, the actual archaeology... The results of it, they're, they'll deal with in it. I suppose those who've actually seen it could answer that. So, you know, I thought maybe today we could talk about the basics of Sutton Hoo for people who maybe have seen the dig and want to know more, uh, or people who just want to know about Sutton Hoo before they go into watching the dig.
0: So was this archaeological find the biggest in England before the Staffordshire find or... Yeah. Just the most well-known. Yes,
1: it was the biggest in England before that time. And you could argue even today it might be the most important still. It's hard to determine what we mean by important in this case. But because there are so many... The, the Staffordshire Horde is all ornamentation for weapons. Whereas Sutton Hoo, even though it's a burial site, it has a lot of household items and other a variety of more things in there. And so I think probably Sutton Hoo is still more important just because it gives us mm-hmm. a broader swath of information.
0: Okay. So, my first question then uh Sutton who who is spelled H O O. Um where does that come from? I know that's that's medieval. That is old English, right?
1: Yes. But th- but it wasn't named after uh it wasn't it wasn't kind of named after no, old English. No, it's not
0: named after anyone. No. <laughs> yes.
1: There's a nearby village called Sutton, and the word who is is sometimes used for a a hill that's shaped maybe like a a, a spur or a heel, sometimes called who. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of... There are still some place names, for example, in England that have an ending of ho, usually H-O-E or H-O-H. This is all information I found by looking at, you know, lists of English place names. Uh, I don't think it's super common, but it was there for that one. And so it's named for the nearby village, and the fact that it's on a hill.
0: It's not a Dr. Seuss character.
1: It's not a Dr. Clear. Seuss character,
0: uh, <laughs>
1: but no one's stopping you from writing some Dr. Seuss fan fiction about Sutton Hoo.
0: Oh, God help us. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the who and what is buried there, no pun intended. Now you were saying this is this contains a lot of household items, Um, And not a lot of like soldier burial artifacts. Well, it Um, also
1: it also does contain soldier burial artifacts. It just in addition to those has like drinking horns and and, and silverware and, 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 and that kind of thing as well.
0: So this is a mishmash of of items then.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. So th- I think that's why I would say, even though in terms of the monetary value, probably the Staffordshire hoard is much more valuable in that way. In terms of the, ho- the information it gives us, it just has so many different items. Well, let me give you an example. So some of the mm-hmm. things that we have in there are uh, stones that were part of, you know, inlay stones from things that we know came from Sri Lanka. So we know that whatever was wow. going on. Yes. You know, we already knew that, like, say, for example... The earlier ivory that we have, we now know comes from Indian elephants, not from uh, walrus tusks that would be nearby. Uh, And so this is just more evidence that shows us just how much trade there was. Now, it wasn't likely that some uh, medieval English merchant went all the way to Sri Lanka and picked these up, but rather, you know, they get traded along the way. And Mm -hmm. even where people were, were not as mobile, objects, especially precious objects like that, could be much more mobile.
0: So you can use these artifacts to establish a timeline of trade?
1: In part, yes. Yeah. So we know there's no way of, you know, there's no way then of saying that there there was no trade uh, between these places. And and one of the things we found, actually, now that we're further along, uh, I would say this century has, well, the last century, this this happened in the 20th century, but really taught us a lot more about just how broader the trade was. And it's it's places like the Sutton Hoo burial uh, site that help us, show us that as well. So it's really important just in terms of teaching us a lot about what was going on in the medieval world. Now, the main person who's buried there is presumably a king. So this is not going to give you exactly a picture of day-to-day life for other people, but it gives you more than just this goes on a sword. There is a sword in there, there's shield, uh, other things like that as well.
0: Yeah, because I was looking up the Sutton Hoo artifact dig, and I found the helmet. Yes. And this is a very famous helmet. If you Google Sutton Hoo helmet, the first image that pops up is so recognizable. It's it's unmistakable. Yeah. You see this everywhere. Just It's like the medieval helmet. It's associated with one Beowulf, right?
1: Yes, it gets associated with Beowulf. And yeah. I have to say, I, you might not know this because I end up dealing more directly with the authors, but when authors of books that we publish at Witan Publishing, when authors suggest their cover, over half of them want this helmet on the cover, uh, which is which is why we try to avoid the helmet, because then yeah. they would all have the helmet all the time. So we try to be very spelling sparing with the use of this helmet, but it is just... It's just iconic, and there's also a belt buckle. So there's other things there, of course. Like I mentioned, there's this helmet and this belt buckle, uh, and I, I'll have links to two sites in the show notes. Uh, one is to the Sutton Hoo National Trust site, where you can go to the place where the dig happened, and they've got some stuff there. And then the British Museum has much of the collection, and they have some of the more some of the more beautiful uh, elements. Also, by the way, in the British Museum, and I'll have a separate link to it just to help you find it more easily there's a virtual tour so you can look at these but if you look at them you'll see there are lots of things but really I'd say if you were to name just the two things that that people immediately recognize it's that helmet and then there's a belt buckle as well
0: so who are some of the people that are buried in this
1: okay so the interesting thing the first thing that surprised everyone maybe not surprised, but confirm some things is it's a ship burial, a ship. Yes. A ship. Now this would be, a boat, yeah. 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 And this is not near where there would be a ship. So clearly this is, Yeah, that
0: was my next question. Like there's no water in this area. This
1: is a ship that's designed and it's a long ship. So it's, you know, it's like uh, I think it's 27 meters long or some, something along those lines. So it is clearly designed as an ocean going ship, but also this particular ship is clearly built not to ever go in the ocean. But rather to be to be buried. Now now the ship itself is no longer there, uh, but we're able to make out the outlines of it so that we know that it was a ship for sure. So you might know that it's a very uh, it's a a trope of Viking funerals that you see in movies Mm -hmm. that they're buried in their ship and then they burn the ship and this kind of thing. Well, the, the buriedness of the ship has suggested to a lot of archeologists that we're sort of in this in between phase where the people have been, are being Christianized, but they're not completely Christianized. So they still have these like pre-Christian rituals. And so I'm going to be buried like a Christian, but I'm going to do it in a ship. Like a, a Norse worshipper is I guess the idea. Yeah. You know, obviously we know this was someone with some money. So even if we never had even if everything had been looted out of it before and we just found the ship, it's gonna be someone important and powerful who you're gonna build a ship for the purpose of burying and not and not taking to sea.
0: Yeah. Interesting. My final question about those who are buried. And I'm asking this because I've been reading a lot about uh the satanic panic and um satanism in general these days. Mm-hmm. Um just for, you know, curiosity's sake. Um anytime you find m- <laughs> scare quotes
1: Curiosity's sake. Yes. <laughs>
0: Anytime one of these mass graves gets dug up in in England and it's either a, a Viking grave or a medieval grave, there are all these rumors about um, human sacrifice. And, oh, they had human sacrifice as late as this century mm-hmm. or this century. Um, and there were... People who had been hanged or beheaded found in this grave. Is there any evidence to suggest that there were human sacrifices with the Sutton Hoo archaeological day? No.
1: Um, probably the best guess is that it's an uh, East Anglian king named uh, Radwald. Uh, but when I say the best guess, like, you know, if you talk to to medieval archaeologists about this, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's our best guess. Do you think it's who it is? Eh, Maybe. Yeah. What I like about using uh, Radwald is that it gives you a sense of it's got to be around that time. And we know it's around that place. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens is that when you find an awesome dig like this, you go looking for stuff. I'm reminded of some years Mm -hmm. ago we had a, a hurricane that came through and damaged my roof and did some serious water damage to my house. And I went around and I cataloged all the water damage and the insurance adjuster came by my house and he looked at all the water damage and he came to one place he said this is old damage you had a leak here before i'd say this is at least a year old i mean they still covered it nonetheless but he said it's very common you didn't know this damage was back here because you weren't looking for it but when you went looking for damage Mm -hmm. you found it some of the graves the cemetery aren't even really from the same century they're older than the burial that we we have here but we found them because we started looking for other things, and then we, we found these. And so one of these cemeteries uh, – th- and there's some really interesting things that are buried there. Uh, one interesting one, which is someone's buried with a horse. Uh, there's also uh, a lot who are <laughs> – there's a lot who are clearly decapitated or their necks are broken like they were hanged. And so there's a sense that they were not sacrificed, but rather they were be- they were executed or punished. So maybe at one mm-hmm. time, at least one part of the cemetery – Uh, that was here was for the criminal class. So either it was a large area where over the centuries, some part of it was for criminals, or it's also possible it was just a good place to bury people. And a century later, you've forgotten that there was ever a cemetery there and you put a royal burial here or or something along those lines. Now, one interesting thing about the dig that I have no idea, I should say, about the archaeological site, not to confuse it with the film, but I have no idea whether the film... (laughs) Uh, gets into this or not, but one cool thing is, you know, the, the the actual bodies aren't there anymore. It's a kind of, for lack of a better word, a kind of space in the soil uh, that is body-shaped and is filled with sand. Uh, and so they had what they called sand bodies, and what they did in this kind of gruesome uh, but uh, cool way was they, they would fill it with silicone rubber to get the outline mm-hmm. of the body. And so we have these kind of like rubbery corpses of the executed, presumably criminals and whatnot from the time. Uh, I don't know if they're going to get oh into that gosh. in the dig, uh, but it was really, um, I should say, by the way, just from the trailer from the dig, what I know already of Edith Pretty, the the woman who owned the the site, et cetera, is it looks like they're going to be pretty, I shouldn't say pretty because that's the name of the woman. They're going to be fairly accurate and they're going to sex it up and bring the war closer to the site uh, than it was.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Question, going back to the sand bodies, are these silicone bodies on display?
1: I don't know the answer to that, actually. I, I should go <laughs> see. I don't, I have no idea. I kind of don't think so. I, I know this from, you know, doing research and looking at uh, photographs mm-hmm. uh, of what they had done at the time they're also by the way the 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 color photographs they 're kind of pinkish or reddish the the rubber that they poured in in the photographs i 've seen and so it also looks a little i don 't know it looks like jello or something it's kind of gross oh, it, it makes it, it only makes it a little bit grosser if I were making the film, I would definitely have the sand bodies where they're filling the silicone in there uh, and seeing the the kind of gruesomeness of the uh, executed corpses Awesomely but no one grotesque. asked me about that yes. <laughs>
0: But you also wanted to talk about the tomb of Childric, right?
1: Childric the 1st. Now this is interesting. So, you know, as I thought about Sutton Hoo and my whole life I've thought about Sutton Hoo as the biggest, the most important medieval archaeological find in Europe. But that's not exactly true. There actually was an earlier archaeological find, uh, the tomb of Childric the 1st, who was a 5th century King of the Franks, a Frankish king, and his tomb was discovered way back in 1653. I guess a mason uh, found it, and this mm-hmm. seems to have been. And you notice I'm using the past tense here a lot. This seems to yeah. have been the greatest of the medieval archaeological finds in Europe. However, the find. Oh, so let me just tell you, the find had you know hundreds and hundreds of objects, uh, including, by the way, the signet ring of Childeric I. So we know for sure who it was. This is one where we're mm-hmm. we're we're not. There's not a lot of guesswork. If this is one where, if it weren't him, we would be surprised.
0: Someone stole the ring, but that's unlikely. Yes,
1: and then pretended to be a king and got buried among all these things <laughs> or something. Uh, but okay. probably the most famous element of it is there are all these golden bees, like the insect bees. Uh, these bees. yes, okay. these golden bees. These they're they're these beautiful. They're really. Really stunningly beautiful, and there were I think three hundred of them. These, these unbelievably worked ornamental bees, which I think were presumably thought to be like you'd you'd put them on your clothing or something, but you'd have a lot to of to be this. worn as jewelry. To be worn as jewelry by a, I mean to have okay. three hundred to have three hundred of these. That's that's a sign that you're you're a rich the, guy. This is
0: painstaking, yeah. Yes, okay.
1: yes, and they're very beautiful. And that was in sixteen fifty-three. Now you might ask why then do we not say you might ask why then don't we say that the the sequence of these, you know, go, starts with children to the first. Well, here's the problem. Fast forward to eighteen thirty-one. These are stored in the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, and in eighteen thirty-one, some thieves broke in And stole about 2,000 objects. About 2,000 objects that night. And it took eight months for the police to find them. But eventually, the police found a gang of thieves. And this gang of thieves had a bunch of precious stones and 20 gold nuggets because they had melted melted down these priceless artifacts for the gold. Now then, as it turned out, They'd hidden some of the objects in bags, and they they sunk them in the Sin River. And the police, once they had gotten confessions out of them, they knew where to look, and they dragged the river, and they pulled up, I think, eight bags or so, a, a lot of them. And they recovered about 1,500 of the pieces, so they recovered about three-quarters of the pieces. But in the quarter of those that were melted down were the treasures of The tomb of Childric the
0: First. And so, yes,
1: so only a few things remain, and only two of those bees remain. So, if you go online and you Google the bees from the tomb of Childric the First, you can see two, and those are the only two you're ever going to see. But they were really important. I mean, so just before this, say, a couple decades before this, you know, Napoleon got really interested in making heraldry for himself. And so he adopted the bee as his personal emblem because of this particular archaeological find. It hadn't been melted down yet when he did this. And so if you look at pictures of Napoleon that are painted where he's not in military clothes, but in sort of imperial kind of clothing, and some of them he'll have like a fleur-de-lis, but more often if you look closely, they're bees that are embroidered all over his clothes or things like that because of Childric the First. This would also make a great and very exciting film, but unfortunately it would would end sadly (laughs) with...
0: That is a very sad story.
1: Yes, so that's how we lost what we might be saying today is the greatest of medieval archaeological digs, but we can't say that anymore because it's now gone gosh
0: and where are the remaining bees now
1: i'm not 100 certain i think they're probably i think they're probably still in the uh, bibliothèque nationale of, the, uh, of france but i don't know that for sure
0: see i would not store them there <laughs> Yeah, they've... i would not have returned them back there since it was so easy to break into right yes this is that's just a terrible place to store them
1: <laughs> something tells me that they might have uh
0: hopefully they've been moved like to the Louvre yes, now. Or, or or yes, they, or they've
1: decided they're going to protect the things a little bit better uh, than they mm-hmm. than they did in 1831, I guess it was.
0: I mean, most of the Louvre stuff survived the Nazi pillage in World War II. I think that would have been a good place to store them, but that's just me. I don't know. Well,
1: I, I can't remember where they were. I actually think they got moved to the Bibliotheque Nasty now because of the revolution to protect them from the revolution. So they survived the revolution... Uh, and they survived it so well that Napoleon was like, I love them bees. I want them as my personal emblem. Yeah. But they didn't survive the thieves instead. So in this case, oh, man. In this case, greed overcomes revolution.
0: Yep. Poor Napoleon.
1: That is a sentence that has not been said very often outside France. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we all know how we feel about the French. Uh, <laughs> sliding into the recommendations now. You want to get into yours? Sure.
1: Mine is a book by Martin Carver and it's called the Sutton who story encounters with early England. It has a lot of pictures in it too, by the way, if you, uh, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a really definitive account. And it, it's not just about the Sutton who find though. It has that in there. It's really about how the find happened. It goes through the periods of what happened. You hear a lot about the story of Edith pretty, uh, which is the, the, the woman who owned the property. She's a really interesting person. Uh, and kind of what happened through it over the years until it becomes a place where you can rent out the local buildings uh, today and stay overnight mm-hmm. uh, or, or host your, your corporate or, or wedding event there or, or whatever. <laughs> uh, what happens between those?
0: Your team building exercises yes, there.
1: right. And Martin Carver, he's really, he's really very, very good. And the book is accessible, I think, to the average person. Uh, But also, it doesn't shy away from giving you all the details that you would want uh, if you're a bona fide uh, medieval scholar. That's Martin Carver's The Sutton Who Story. So what do you have for us, Nina?
0: So my first recommendation is uh, Edward L. Rizdin's Beowulf Translation. And that is, of course, published by Witan Publishing, our company. And that will be the Book of the Month for March 2021 for uh, Medievalist.net Patreon subscription. So if you are not a Patreon of theirs, sign up now and you will get a free print copy of his book. And uh, you can always buy an ebook version of that book that's been available for a while now. Um, But if you want a free print version, sign up as a Patreon patron and you will get a free copy in March. For that, you'll have to buy a copy. But um, please do so.
1: I should also point out that, that it was also picked out, uh, I think it was last month, it was the top three Beowulf translations you should uh, read. It was one of the top three that they picked. Yes, So it's wonderful. Yes, award-winning translation.
0: Not just us talking, it's other people talking about it too. My second recommendation, so John Preston, who wrote The Dig, which is a historical fiction novel based on the Sutton Hoo discovery. He also wrote a book called A Very English Scandal which is a true crime non-fiction novel (laughs) if you're into this sort of thing. It's based on the Jeremy Thorpe affair uh, which is again he does not bury the lead. It's a very English scandal. Happened in the late 70s where a member of parliament Jeremy Thorpe was acquitted of attempting to have his lover murdered. He hired a buffoonish assassin to murder his much younger lover and it has just about everything. English, there's tea, there's members of parliament, there's horses. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I'm recommending this book because it was turned into a BBC miniseries a couple years ago with Hugh Grant. And it's just, it's very stuffy, very ridiculous. And of course it could be based in, in the U S but this one is just so very English, lot of monocle popping and um, just, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm recommending this.
1: Okay. That sounds great. And uh, now, now <laughs> that we've actually recorded, I'll be able to watch the dig and read the book without uh, contaminating my reading of it beforehand. Yeah. So I'm actually looking forward to it.
0: Yes, one thing to mention is that uh, John Preston is the nephew of um, Margaret Guido, who was one of the archaeologists on the Sutton who dig. I
1: did not know that.
0: Yeah, when I was looking up uh, this author, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I guess he's got a uh, a personal stake in the matter, too.
1: Well, I look forward to to watching this, and uh, if it's interesting enough, we we'll, we might do it for November, uh, unless there is a whole string of more interesting things that come up between now and then. Uh, so, anything else uh, that you want to ask about, or anything else you want to say about about the Sutton Who Dig?
0: I'm still depressed about those bees. <laughs> we could have had so many golden bees to admire, but you know, people got to melt them down.
1: I am too. So, uh, so just remember, people. Uh, If you do steal antiquities, which we do not recommend... Please do not melt them down. Please, uh, if you're going to sell them on the black market, uh, keep them intact. Please so, keep
0: them intact on the black market. Yes. Yeah,
1: so maybe some centuries from now, when you get arrested, we can then get them back intact.
0: When you die and leave them in your will to whatever corrupt niece or nephew, we can eventually find them again and put them in a museum where they belong. Exactly. <laughs> or return them to their rightful country. I mean, that's actually what <laughs> but, All right. West Hall Doc.
1: West Hall, Nina. Pop and Evil was recorded under in studios. studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and, and Luna McEvoy. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Ginwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash evil. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash evil. Thank you for listening.
0: we gonna go back and recommend our older podcasts even though they don't sound up to par with our current one i, I think i'm going <laughs> to oh they sound fine this engineer mike is very defensive